0: This is A Wee Bit of Everything, the podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune into this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience, who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad, so be sure to check them out on Twitter
1: at Premierexperience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Yeah, yeah.
0: This week, we're delighted to welcome another absolutely wonderful guest onto the show. As always, if you see it on Instagram at a wee bit of everything podcast or Twitter at Burrell underscore Mr or at Cleland Blues 94, we would appreciate it if you could give us a like or a retweet to help us get the podcast out there so that others can listen as well. And if you haven't already done so, we'd be really grateful if you could head on over to Apple or Spotify and give the podcast a wee review because this helps, again, get the podcast out there and it allows people... Um, looking at the podcast or maybe interest on it um, gives them a little insight into to what the podcast is about to see if it maybe suits their interest. So that would be very good if you could give the podcast a wee review, take a couple of
1: minutes out of your time. Clark, today on the podcast, who's joining us? Well, today on the podcast, Lewis, we are joined by PE lecturer from Stirling University, Joe Cowley. Uh, so Joe worked as a PE teacher previously. And also was a sports science lecturer um, before he took up his current post as PE lecturer at Stirling University. So he's coming on today to talk about PE careers, different choices that you can make, um, some cross-country teaching methods, and more. So we're looking forward to having him on. And um, let's get it started. Right, how
2: you doing, Joe? Welcome to a wee bit of everything. It's great to have you on. How's things? I great, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I finished my marking today so I can relax a wee bit, although the work continues, eh, it's good to have that marking pile out the way. I know, it's always a relief when you get the marking done, it's a thought, isn't
1: it? <laughs> absolutely. I um, well, thanks thanks for joining us to, tonight to share your experiences as a lecturer and, and as a teacher, and I'm sure you'll talk about a lot more than that and um, anything in between. So we can't wait to get started, so just kick us off then with the first question, could you give us a brief rundown on your professional career to date?
2: Well, that's a long one. You're going to be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, just keep, keep it brief. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> um, I, I basically, I, I committed teaching late. I've been teaching for since 2004, 2003, 2004. Um, down in Bristol, I started teaching. But basically, I started off... Going to university and um, it was the late 90, uh, 19, No, sorry, not the nineties. It was a uh, two. I wasn't it. because it's that long ago. Nineteen eighty nine. I started studying. Right. Um, I had a kind of a wake up call. My dad had been ill, and then ended up passing away. And I was going through job to job, and nothing. Absolutely fantastic, or anything like that, just a sort of mediocre job. And my dad had always said, Oh, you should go to university, you could have done better for yourself, and all the rest of And at the time, I was into like sort of weightlifting, bodybuilding, a bit of rowing, things like that. So um, I was interested in like maybe personal training type thing. Now, personal training, etc., wasn't a really big thing at that time. Um, I'd been getting in and out of the gyms since like, 1985, 86, since I was a wee boy. So, I became really interested in the sort of physical side of things, the exercise, health, all that side of things. Mm-hmm. So, I looked into doing like the premier personal training course and went through the SECC where there was a sort of careers fair on and saw the price it and thought, no, oh. <laughs> it was like £4,500 or something. I thought, I can't do that and top it what I'm earning just now and all the rest there. So, I looked into various other avenues and all the rest of it and it was um, Falkirk College at the time that I'd seen a, an HNC in sports science. Mm-hmm. Um, so I applied to do the HNC in sports science. I'd also applied for fitness health and exercise yeah, elsewhere, but I didn't seem to like the course as much. And uh, I, I really had it lucky through it. Falkirk College. It was um, basically a lot of the staff were ex-PE teachers, or ex-Money House sort of PE teachers, and... I was really interested in the science of things and I had already done my gym instructor's course right. at times. So I was doing some work in gyms. I'd been selling memberships and then went on to work in the gym floor, etc. And teaching various classes, spinning all the rest of it. Bearing in mind at this time, there had no level fee, personal trainer award that wasn't in existence. So I became more and more interested in that. And i went to do an HNC with the sole purpose of becoming a fitness manager or maybe teaching instructors mm-hmm. eventually. So um, various sort of courses along the way, small sort of courses and all the rest of that. Get interested in the sports conditioning side of things. Now at school, um, the first few years at secondary, I wasn't really that interested in the physical education side of things. I was born with a disability, believe it or not, um, called a condition called talipes, which is like a club foot. But it didn't affect my running or anything like that. But if I'd done like like see some racket sports and like football and stuff like that after a wee well, it, it hurt me quite bad. Um so one of my PE teachers at the time had inspired me, a really really good guy called John Dawson, I'm all right to name him. A really good guy called John Dawson, he really inspired me and he, he got me into athletics and hurdles and stuff like that. Now, I'm only five foot eight, five foot nine, but I actually done pretty well in the hurdles and sprints, really Um, And then it got me interested in circuits. So that was how I ended up sort of having that interest. But going back to where I was with the HNC, when I really shone through in the HNC, I was a mature student in the class. And the lecturers that I had, they pushed me. And applied at the time. It was to Strathclyde. I think it was just coming to the end when they were doing the the, the four-year PE degree. I went on that and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I was the oldest in the class and usually I got on okay with people but it was just I just didn't seem to enjoy it at the time. So I signed up for the degree at Edinburgh Napier, sports science degree. So after having three weeks in this course I ended up jumping to another course. I went through it in Napier and I absolutely loved it. Get really interested in uh, sort of biomechanics. Uh, the motion side of things, quality movement, more the science side of what you would call physical education now. Um, I had a really good lecturer there that was, there was quite a few of the lectures there that were PE background, and they'd said that you never considered teaching, blah, blah, blah. So after this, I decided to go down south. i had seen the course at Bristol, which was led by Ken Fox at the time. Who's done a lot of stuff motivational the Kenza um, sort of old physical education background, but a lot of more contemporary research. And as research looks into motivational theories, um, some of the earlier motivational theories for participation in, in PE the theory, self-efficacy, and in, in physical education itself. Um was that your postgrad down there? No, so, no, well, what I did was i done the master's first year, just subject-specific, not teaching. I managed to pick up a teaching job because down there you can do like teaching unqualified. So I started teaching between an A-level centre and a school, and they had school centre the National Teacher Training through the university. So basically, what you do is you basically you go in and you're doing it on the job. Plus, you get a post grad PGCe mm. at the time. So I done then ended up staying down there and done the probation thing down there the, the QTS down there. And I had lifted a master's at the same time. It was crazy. Absolutely hectic. Absolutely fantastic lifestyle. Um, Really, really good down there. But the problem was the cost of living. And I was coming up back at the weekends to see my friends and then I ended up bumping into my wife. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing occasional shifts at the weekend when I came up to um, a gym at Lystra Sports Centre and I met my wife. Um, And that's what kind of made me stay here. But in between all this, what I was basically doing was I was doing a lot of different jobs. Um, Prior to going to Bristol, I worked on the gym floor. I was an exercise referral consultant. Um, Part of that was a project that I run for young people. We went in and out of PE departments and physiotherapists and dieticians. And we got referrals for young people that weren't getting involved in physical activity to try and make them more active. Um, so I, I headed out that project various other community projects and along the way and prior to going to Bristol I got involved in assessing like fitness instructors that was sort of my first taste of the teaching side of things and experience of how I got on the same wavelength as people and, and all the rest of it so fast forwarding down to Bristol then teaching down there came up, back up here because I'd met my wife and I, I took um, a role um, at the time, the GTCs as well. You had to have completed. If you'd done an English degree, you had to still complete a, a certain amount of probation. So I never bothered pursuing that at the time, and picked up a few jobs um, along the way over a six or seven year period. So I thought um, it was Motherwell College at the time, and the HNC HND um, Sports Coaching, HNC Fitness, Health and Exercise. From there, I went on to read care. Um, which is now Glasgow West, I believe. I've taught there for quite a few years and became involved in the skills programme. And that's when I kind of I fell back in and accrued war, the probation period for Scotland then. So I've done probation twice. Oh, <laughs> well yeah. woven. Um And from there, I basically... Quite a few other... Just loads and loads of different teaching jobs. Um, College-based, UWS, uh, sports science degree... Um, which was really, really uh, an excellent experience, but again, more away from the the physical education side of things. But towards the physical education side of things, I've worked in, obviously, secondary. I worked as a primary specialist for uh, three years, part-time for a year and a half, and then I've done it full-time for a year and a half. I've worked in an EBD school, emotional behavioural disorders, for a year. I've done a year in Portland High in Cold Bridge, and also worked for about six a year and six months in McCannon High in Coatbridge as well, which was a, a school for a um a school for like moderate learning difficulties. So it was basically to try and give me a full mm-hmm. picture of the curriculum as a whole from three to eighteen and beyond. And um, when I was doing the primary specialism, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, me in this role. But when I was doing the primary specialism, uh. uh I get put into the nursery one day because they they had to have a, a GTC teacher on the premises that was basically um registered because it was the person that was meant to be there was off that day, they were off out So I get put in there and it continued for about I think it was for two weeks. And I would go in there just for three hours in the morning. And the kids absolutely loved it. And I said to the head teacher at the time, I quite enjoy this. And she's like, I Don't see that. <laughs> sorry you won't get back out it was absolutely tiring it was exhausting and everything revolved around snacks But <laughs> that's the same in my life as well but <laughs> obviously the main sort of side of things I was looking towards basic fundamentals We fundamental skills we fundamental movement skills and we were getting them we were challenging these children and getting them to do things that were obviously age appropriate movement wise but at the same time, we we're stretching them, so we're taking them into the gym hall and putting loads of soft play type stuff out, and just looking at basic movements, say gymnastics, etc., to try and get them a wee step ahead of where they would be in that level in the sort of level zero, wee step ahead of that. Um, Brilliant! So it was, it was absolutely, you know, it's, it's been a, it was a fantastic experience. Um, and then when I done my pH started to do my PhD when I was teaching. Um, I, I jumped out of the secondary and went solely on the primary just three days a week to finish my PhD. In between that, I had worked a wee bit with Eleanor Steele over at Abram Hill, and that was to really get the polish on uh, some of my weaker areas as well, um, which was an absolutely fantastic um, school to work in. Now, it's no longer the Gregory's Girls School. you people will probably know as What was the name of that school, sorry? Um, Abram Hill High in Cumbernauld. Are ah, right, OK. Yeah, so I think that closed about four years ago. Now it would been in the, the merger with, with, with Cumberland Cumbernauld High. So I mean, it's good. It was good to get that sort of well rounded. Um, seems like you've had like a job in almost every single
0: aspect of that field, like sport and fitness and teaching. Like, is that and like... some it was
2: deliberate, and some it was accidental. It just, I just fell into what, what was here. But it's quite good because although I'm a generalist, I could, I could see that, for example, I would be quite comfortable. Um, and Eleanor would tell you this when I went into her school I picked up higher PE right away yeah. I, would, I have taught obviously the newer higher but um I would be pretty comfortable going in and, and, and teaching uh, that teaching advanced higher as well I mm. think once you've got the building blocks uh, especially the disciplines of sports science yeah. going in and picking up um, more certificated stuff okay maybe the specifics of the question I would need to work on mm-hmm. slightly but Looking at that, the overall underlying theory behind it, um, it's something that I'd be pretty comfortable doing. I think
0: also having like, see, like having like a master's background or something. I think that's going to stand you in good stead for teaching advanced higher because you're so familiar with all the referencing and how to actually do research properly. You know, absolutely, like,
2: yeah,
0: absolutely. and that is. That's what, um, one of the one of my colleagues. Um, she's been teaching, I think, for maybe about five years now, but she's still, like, she's been on helping with another one of my colleagues teaching in advance, but she does all, she deals with all the kind of reference inside of things and all that, because she's fairly fresh out of
2: uni, so it's all fresh in her head, and it's... Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's wee shortcuts that you learn. I mean, down in um, Bristol, we had a programme, and we use it still in as well, a programme called EdNote, but there's also, like, RefWorks, and basically, that does the reference and it collects the references for you. You can now yeah. access them online. When I started studying everything was paper journals, I remember going into the Moray House Library and having to photocopy all my, like, 30 quid in photocopying cards, uh, yeah. <laughs> having to photocopy all my journals and carrying up the stairs in the Erskine Medical Library all this type of mm-hmm. stuff. So I remember doing all that um, side of things. But now, like, with these programmes, basically... Um, Ed noticed that can just bring up the journal and you just log in, and that's you. You've got a sort of repository there in, in, in front of you. It right, just generates it for you, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm it just you can do it with, with, with Word as well. And it's passing these on to your students that uh, yeah. really, really helps them. To work, to work more efficiently, isn't it? Absolutely. That's what we're
0: all about a wee bit <laughs> of efficiency.
2: <laughs> Spending all night tying up references, you know? <laughs> I, you know, um, I know. Not for me.
1: <laughs> um, right, thanks for sharing that, Joe. And you've obviously, as lot says, we have got a wide range of experience. Which we're uh, delighted to be able to kind of, you know, dig a bit deeper into some of the concepts that we're going to move on to. So you spoke about a lot about developing the basic fundamental skills at the nursery level. Um, I'm guessing that's a wee bit about kind of physical literacy, like the balance and on the, the basic movement skills. So you, I think you've, you've had some experience say, developing young people's physical literacy through cooperative learning. Um, I also often hear and read about this online, um, about how important it is to develop the, this physical literacy so they can access as, as many activities as possible. So, uh, could you maybe
2: tell us a wee bit more about the work that you've done then? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different research that I've read around this area and became involved in, in 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 writing some studies around this, around this area, conducting some research in this area. But a, a lot of it is about understanding physical literacy. Now, I'm not an expert on the philosophy of physical literacy by no manner of means, but it's often misreported and misrepresented physical literacy. Um, If you look at the work of Whitehead, Margaret, you'll probably be familiar with the the work of Margaret Whitehead. She'll tell you that physical literacy is not a pedagogical model. But what I'm seeing in some textbooks and even in some schools of the curriculum is they're teaching, if they're doing a models-based approach, they're teaching a physical literacy model where they're trying to teach physical literacy. And physical literacy is not really something that can be taught like that. It's, it's more like it's promoted through mm. the activities. So if you take, like, say, the curriculum in New Zealand, um, Australia, some of the Canadian ideas where we've got, that I think even Wales are maybe, doing something along the lines of the physical at the you wheel now, and look at the physical at the you wheel, you've got cognitive, physical, psychological and social, so that ties in with your domains, and when you think about it, what does that remind you of in Scotland? Mets, uh, National so Five. The bench, uh, you've got experience. National Five, but also if you think about the significant aspects of learning, yep. and this is where it becomes confusing, because we had a, a fantastic blueprint with the quadrants. Remember the, the sales, whiteboards and all the rest of it? And then we yep. had the advent of the new benchmarks. And people became confused. I've even heard teachers saying, oh, we don't use the sales anymore. There's no such thing. We don't use the sales like that. And they're taking a, a significant aspect to learning and teaching one cell to death, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of using one cell as a benchmark, but still teaching holistically. Now, physical literacy really is about holism. It's about teaching through all the domains. And we do this in Stirling. It wasn't me that developed this, but this is something that I was always aware of. We do this in Stirling through what's called explicit and implicit learning intentions. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you were teaching um, a push-pass in hockey, your physical skill, your explicit learning intention would be the push-pass in hockey. But we would also look at covering the other areas that implicit learning in that lesson to make sure that we're. Ha- so, our lesson planners have got implicit learning intentions on them. So, some of our mentors will say, Oh, what's this? And I have to explain, right? Well, if you've got four quadrants of cells and you want to at least try and acknowledge holism, which apparently leads to physical activity and physical literacy, we have to look at not only the the physical competencies and the physical hard skills, I know it's a physical subject, but we also have to think more about the social side and the affective domain. We also have to think about the thinking, my thinking part and the cognitive domain. So we have to think across these areas to promote confidence, to promote motivation, knowledge, understanding. These are the building blocks of physical literacy. So it's having the confidence to do these activities physically. Um, to have the motivation to be able to do it, to have the knowledge, the understanding. So some of the research, one of of the pieces of research that I became involved in, and it doesn't matter what model it's through, it can be through teaching games for understanding, it can be through um, cooperative learning, it can be through sport education, even direct and and instruction-based models. These tend to more affect the motivation side of things, but you can still deliver... To, to reach the end goal of physical literacy through more or less any of these models. So what I chose to do, and it was a paper that I had read that really inspired, I liked a lot of her work, was Victoria Goodyear. I think she was a PhD student at David Kirk. And to me, her work really, really interested me in, in the sort of ideas that I, I had as well. And she had conducted a cooperative learning um, study on basketball, and at the time it was using flipped cameras and using like just sort of standard co-op learning teams. So I was teaching between primary and secondary at the time, and they decided to do a wee bit of action research. I'd already become involved in more sort of academic research, but I decided to do some more sort of on-the-job research. And it was basically in cross-country running. And we organised, we had quite a lot of people and these classes that I was teaching that weren't want to take part in cross country. Oh, cross country again! Oh no, sir, I don't want to do that sort of thing. So we decided to organise them and learn, and who wants to run? Aye, I, want to run. No, I don't. I don't. So we had like we had recorders, we had uh, basically coaches, and we were using iPads. So we basically more or less replicated the previous methodologies of other studies but decided to apply it to cross-country running and we ran it as an eight-week block and we had to differentiate and to give choice we done it as a time trial first of all and we set out various different routes so there was quite a few different routes that we set out as well so that uh, it was there was an element of not so much pupil voice but pupil choice Was mm-hmm. um, the challenge of kind of more able ones yeah, as well? Absolutely Toward, as we see in Stirling towards achieving and beyond so we had several different routes that the could choose, and what happened was that they sort of shying away. The people that were maybe really a bit more shy their body, for example, they didn't they, they, they were kind of shying away and they didn't want to take part by probably about week four, week five, second and a half ago. Mm. Um, so we had conducted focus groups and all the rest of it with the pupils, obviously, with permission from the proper ethics board and permission for parents. We conducted them. Um, some focus groups just to see that sort of side of things, and that was what the, the the abstract that I'd sent through to you. Now, that's basically getting it's getting turned into a paper eventually. But I've, I've done three papers last year, so I've been really, really busy. Busy awesome, man. Copy all the other work with COVID, so that's next on the in the back burner. But that just got me thinking. You know, just by using that one simple approach, but the advantage of it is. We're moving away from PE's performance there, right? So we're thinking, and I'll, 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 I've had spats and, with some people in part about this. tried to avoid it now, <laughs> but basically, a lot of PE teachers say, "Ah, but we can't. We're really not going to be able to present children eh, to the, the county or whatever, you know, to, to races or whatever. We're not because it's not it's not competitive enough. Enough. But what you do get from that is you get a time trial time." Mm-hmm. So, once you've got the time trial time, you've got all the people that are really effective from the time trial time, say, like who wants to race together. And then we take it and we turn it into more in the traditional format across country, then. So, we're getting everything, we're getting everybody included, but at the same time, we're picking out the people that would be more likely to go forward for competition. So, you're getting cooperation and competition from that one sort of large teaching episode, as it were, eight, ten meet walk or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's really, it really effective, and it's it's needing explored a wee bit, a wee bit more. It's just getting the, the finances to, to, to fund these studies. Mm-hmm.
1: So see, um, see the implicit learning. Like, what would an example of that be then? Like, for example, say a cross country lesson. Like, so personal qualities like working
2: as part of a team, um, cooperating with with your with others. If you're communicating, if you're teaching, oh, I think when you came around that corner, there, you came in to, too close to the inside. Why don't you go and see? You've got like a wee bit of reciprocal teaching mm-hmm. happening as well. You've got the communication, peer communication. So looking at your sort of personal qualities right. and the significant aspects of learning. One of the assignments that our students actually do. Um, it was the fourth years, but we've jiggled the modules about a wee bit. But that looks at personal qualities and transferring the personal qualities in over into the workplace through the implicit learning intention. So you're almost taking the implicit and making it explicit. So, for example, with rugby specialist, and I do a wee bit in rugby, and then we get like a rugby specialist and a performance director from one of the schools up, up north. And an absolutely fantastic coach, but also a teacher of rugby. And he comes in and works with them. And then I take over and say to the students, right, think about this in the workplace. Okay, you maybe don't want to go on and play rugby. You don't even want to do that physical sort of side of things. But what did you learn from, from, from taking part in the scrum? What did you learn from taking part? Oh, communication or oh, trust or oh, respect? So there, right away, you you see that you've got the sort of building blocks of things that look towards the skills for life, learning and work agenda where you've, you're, you're teaching. You're not just teaching physical education, you're teaching skills for life um, that would be effective. Supposing you go and work in a bank, for example.
1: Yeah. No, I quite, I quite like how you focused on both there, so the performance as well. There was an option for them. To be yeah, I mean, and, absolutely. Because,
2: I got Sports science background um, and finishing the level four strength and conditioning. I've done my other strength and conditioning really into the, the performance side of it. Hmm. But at the same time, as a, a, to be a, a good physical education teacher in physical education educator, the whole thing is like, not, it's not meeting the binary that there's either performance or there's this, but it's giving the options. I yeah, say. definitely. I think I think it's good to have both. I think sometimes we can
1: polarize it and think we need to be doing performance only or just developing their personal qualities and then forget about the performance because ultimately that's what they get assessed on uh, later down the line when it comes to senior phase.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, and it's the whole it's letting them understand when we're teaching our students it's letting them understand the meta skills. Um, so you've got the meta skills that you're going to be teaching their pupils for the workplace and for life, but also it's, um, it's my job is about not so much teaching them every single activity, it's teaching the meta skills to know where to start. If you go into a new school, are you going as a student, where do you start with that block? how do you know how to diagnostically assess them? So it's teaching the meta skills rather than teaching them, oh, this is badminton, this is what you do with this, this is tennis, this is what you do with this. It's okay, we can do it through that activity, but we don't talk about teaching that activity, we talk about teaching it through that activity. So if you were to teach it through football, for example, what would you be looking for in a class? So it's more the pedagogical content knowledge and getting them to understand uh, the underlying um, meta skills required to be able to then um, build up your, your block of work um, yes. and it all is experimental and trial and error it's about not being afraid to make a mess yourself I mean I've went in and, and tried loads of, and remember when the SAP stuff came out with the social dance mm. and it was, uh, you probably all tried it when you tried the Avicii and all the different uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah,
2: and then uh, I probably made a pure backside of myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> you need to cut that out. No, no, it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, that's that's fine. That's all good. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's the kind of stage I feel like I'm at just now as well. Like I just feel like there's, I'm like i just want all these different ideas, and especially from doing the podcast and speaking to all these different people. I'm like, oh, I want to go and try that. And like I was speaking to it was Murray, uh, no Murray, Ian Stanger. Sorry, he was on the, the yeah, yeah. Dinner, um, last week we were talking about technology and that. I was saying how I had a, a, an S2 class and we we're, we're looking at kind of breaking down the sprinting technique and I had oh them working in pairs and videoing each other like from a kind of front on, a side on view and I was like, it just totally fell in its face. I was like, that was just wasn't the class to try that way or it wasn't the right time to try it with. But I was like, you know what, that might work with maybe like an S1 class. They might get excited about seeing that and how they can run faster and all that. And it could be the group as
2: well, you know, um you could get another, you can get two or three people that change the group dynamics as well and you try it with a different group the same age and it it works. I've done something similar actually talking about the sprint and it was when I was, I was teaching in UWS but I was still doing a day a week in one of the primaries and I managed to get some of the sports science stuff so it was like the, the time, and it was all real and close of PE that we were doing in primary like proper. um, I was running a sort of models based approach there really um, but we tried to bring them into the sort of technological side of things into it. So I brought in timing gates and it was absolutely fantastic because the kids, the first class, the first P7 class, we um, tried it out and they were, all they were interested in was to see who could beat who. Mm. But the other, one of the other groups that came in the other, because it was the two-stream class, they came in and they absolutely loved it. You know, were, how, how does this work? And you were actually doing a lot of sort of um, cross- disciplinary learning really you know you're teaching them a wee bit of physics and yeah. a wee bit of ma- mathematics numeracy and stuff like
1: that in it as well it makes it a wee bit more engaging doesn't it Absolutely. we'll be trying this tomorrow what's, what's that? that we'll be trying that period one tomorrow I've got my timing games looked It. my spare stash of timing games I've got under my bed
2: are <laughs> yeah. an absolute nightmare to
0: calibrate to <laughs> uh, i don't think i've ever used them actually but that yeah. sounds, sounds interesting it's it's always interesting like cause i did quite a bit of reading on like running and so i was dead interested on like the different paces and how to actually tailor a like a marathon program or a half marathon program specific to your like vo2 max and all that and i read a, a brilliant book when i was away traveling and just learned so much about it it's a guy called jack daniels Um, and then he's got this running formula and basically you can work out your pace for a a half marathon based on your 10k time or you can work out your marathon time based on your half marathon time and it gives you these, it's just, I don't know how he's managed to do these calculations and that but I just could not believe how much is actually involved in the simple art of just oh running. Man. Like the technique, how efficient how you can run how you can run properly.
1: And it's just the sessions it was, were tough though, weren't they? Because I because I, we, we Lewis, asked it, me but, <laughs> Lewis asked me to sign up. So you persuaded me and it was tough going. Some of the I've work, never some, I'm not ready, I'm not wearing, but
2: I've not read any I'm It's,
1: it's so so interesting. Like you should it's
2: called D- Daniel's running formula. You should give it a it's I get really interested in this, you know, the stride the the power the use of the power meters we're running, it's just like a wee pod. So Aye. I've got one of these, and it's, it's supposed to be like accurate out-of-the-box. I'm finding to needed a wee bit of calibration, but what that does is it measures walks, the amount yeah. of watts that you're, you're, you're putting out. So you need to do like your fastest 5K to get your um, continuous power from that, and from that then they, they can actually tell you not to go be pace but to actually do your sessions, there's all the different sessions that you can do. If you're training for a half marathon, for example, you would follow the session for that. very much like the gardening yeah. sort of session, yeah. but rather than running it with pace or heart rate, you're using the wattage. So if yeah. you're going uphill, you're actually taking that a bit easier going uphill, but when you're going downhill, you're absolutely hammering it to make sure that uh, you're, getting you're right 240 watts, you're trying to keep it. That makes
0: sense. Actually, when you're going uphill, you're going to be going slower but using the same power. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. but according to a few of my friends it's a red herring. a few other guys in sports science you think it's a bit of a red hair but it's fairly fairly accurate mm-hmm.
0: is that the thing with Under Armour that you are talking about then?
2: no, Under Armour one's separate that's a similar, it's a similar idea but that doesn't measure the watts right yeah that doesn't measure the, the power output you, that moves you if you're using something like Zwift that moves you as a person mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so I many. Don't be, I don't doing
1: doing but, but I felt as if that training program I was like burnt out by the time I felt fatigued going into the actual event. Uh, the
0: yeah, I think hard. it's. I think it's. Just, it's like a rule. Of, it's no. I don't think it's a hundred percent specific to you. Like it doesn't take any consideration like your sleep, your eating, all that kind of stuff. It's just giving you a kind of blueprint to follow based Absolutely. on your paces. So I think it's uh, some of it is about having the knowledge about like have I overtrained like the day before? Like is my heart rate overall a wee bit higher? Like going into the next session, should I maybe take it a wee bit easy? And it's it's having that knowledge as well, I suppose. And it just it does become like quite a, a massive big
1: puzzle. Yeah. I know and the, thing, the thing. Is, is that formula doesn't know I have an Indian and Chinese every weekend. He's just dehydrated.
0: That's what he's got in his camel back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, happens in Teen, ten. Uh, happens
2: at ten. The pub doesn't.
0: Probably a yeah. uh, the day. Hi. Um, Joe. You can kind you of spoke there. Then you kind of went into a wee bit of depth about the the kind of cross country action research thing that you did, and you kind of spoke about the the differentiation side of it with the time trial, and the routes. I like that idea of the the planning different routes because I'm thinking just in Moscow, like those. We've got such a big outdoor area, and we could we could easily plan out different routes with hills, ones that are flat, yep. um, and and just really mix up. So I like that idea for. Um, differentiating your your cross-country teaching but could you maybe go into a wee bit more detail on how you would maybe go about approaching a block across cross-country and how you would maybe monitor their progress like how much how much do you like go into like mechanics and stuff like that where you having in that sort of background and um how would
2: you typically just approach it well it was uh, when I, when i done this i had a wee booklet that was laid out with different tasks each week and uh-huh. it was kind of a like Almost like they were getting coached, they were coaching each other, it was a bit of reciprocal teaching, we were working on like technique, so we were t- taking quite a, although it was cooperative learning, we were doing quite a sort of a traditional approach, but I was teaching sort of basic, like about the ramp warm-up, you know, raise the temperature, activate the muscles, we were teaching them this sort of side of things as well, um, so we're going to get quite a bit of detail with the basics of the science side of yeah. things. But still talking more about the actual um, the actual physical side and taking part in the physical side. Um, not too much detail. We weren't covering too much detail in this sort of motivational side like talking yeah. about visualization or anything like that, but just making them aware that and um, be supporting each other in these groups and all the rest of it. So it was just basically eight weeks um, started off a bit about technique and they would film each other. And I can't even remember what the app was now. I've got more of it in the methodology, but we used one of the wee apps where they're basically looking at the, the digimarkers of um the, the angles of their joints and all the rest of it and how they're moving. Um and how you would how you would change that, how you can try and adjust that movement. Um and letting them try out different tracks, maybe the third week, fourth week, like try out a different how do you feel after that, how, do you think you pace yourself too fast or too slow mm-hmm. so it was very much trying to move away from it being just a timing and measuring exercise but more about the pupils feelings and how, how they are feeling down the different levels then by probably about week six week seven when we're starting to pull the group together that most of them would want to take part in the longer yeah. a longer group anyway um, those that are working beyond were just increasing the laps, so you were just taking beyond by increasing the distance. So, you're, although you're you're working on intensity, teaching a wee bit about the frequency, the intensity, the time, etc., you, you're just like basically increasing the distance to make sure that if they're working beyond and they really are a good cross country runner, and you could be putting them towards like uh, competition, just increasing the distance then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I, I can remember one, one of the courses was particularly highly, it was like a waste bit of ground outside mm-hmm. the school that we used um, risk assessed of course you know Aye, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then like the, the final evaluation of uh, the programme itself but collecting loads of stuff on the on the iPad as well so it's quite sciencey in a way but still making sure that the physical aspect and the particularly the social side of things was involved in the hammering the effect affect of domain. Yeah. It's something that I'm really, really passionate about. To me, it's the most important domain in my job. And it's also the most important domain in, as a as a physical education teacher. Mm-hmm. Getting on the wavelength, getting the, you know, um developing the the, the feeling aspect of physical education, the joy of movement. Yeah. Basically I think that's really important. And physical literacy and it's it's often neglected. And as teachers, being caring, you you know actually caring about the young people that you're teaching, you're not just there to teach them this or teach them that. It's actually having an interest in in them as as young people as well.
0: Mm, I definitely. I think um, especially adding like some of see some of this because I think like running and athletics and and all that can like some people can feel limited when they're teaching it or especially cross country if you're doing like an eight week block of it maybe not athletics as much because you maybe like do like a couple of weeks on each event or whatever Um, but with the likes of cross country if you're doing it for an eight week block I think adding in like the element of sports science and talking about like their their, um, strides per minute and all that kind of stuff and measuring their heart rates and it kind of gives you more scope, and you can you can you teach them more about it.
2: I, I I used to do actually a wee bit of health and well being classroom based stuff with some of the groups, um, the the primary groups here, and uh, we, we were able to use it to talk about measurement as well, but more in the classroom sort of literacy, uh, sort of numeracy, sensey things. Mm-hmm. Where we're talking about a mile, what, what's a mile? What's a kilometer? Why, why do we sometimes measure the miles and why you know and I've got this talking about miles and kilometres and what's the difference why do we measure everything eighty but when it comes to distance in the roads aye. Well, maybe it's because they can't afford to change the road signs I don't know yeah there <laughs> <aye, laughs> yeah, could be some reason for it I don't like working in miles and that's the thing but we'll talk about miles per hour in the car but if I'm out running and I see I've only done um, two miles Whereas as if I see you've done three point two kilometers, it's like, aye, <laughs> it, look, it looks it looks a bit more, doesn't it? It's it looks more if you're doing seven miles an hour, but if you're doing eleven point three kilometers an
0: hour, it comes bit there. I
2: feel it. Aye, I can aye. never get I
0: can never wrap my head around that. I'm always miles on Strava. What are you, Clark? You miles as well? Aye, my, miles, I'm a miles man as well. Miles I'm
1: eight kilometers
2: because
1: I want to make myself look better. <laughs> No, I think the good thing about cross country running as well like for the kids they need to spend they get to know about their bodies don't they and what they're absolutely. capable of and their mental toughness like because I know what it's like obviously doing a bit of running as well you, you learn a lot about yourself don't you absolutely it's, I mean
2: I'm a very and this is I'm not lying here this is way before I was interested in um, teaching even or sports science I was interested in I think it probably was back to the sort of rave days of the 80s and 90s where there was a lot of friends that I had and we were interested in all this sort of visualisation stuff. It was all the music that was out at the time as well. So I think sort of the hidden powers in the mind, visualisation, believe and achieve all this, picturing in your mind, Mm -hmm. and how it came to the sort of forefront in sports psychology then became something that I was really interested in prior to even becoming involved in academia or pra academia. And I think there's a lot to it. I mean, even just things like simple um, affirmations, like shut up legs. Shut <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Get> up legs.
1: <laughs> I, I, I assume you were talking about the rave scene there. Uh, what was the, the better nightlife? like, Falkirk or Bristol? Um, and definitely it, Bristol. I know, it's like
2: in Not Dying Falkirk's got much to offer, has it? No, If you're into the I aye. <laughs> Parade the Kelpies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even I'm Rosie's Rosie I've yeah, I've never been at the court, to be honest I, I never I mean Bristol that was it was kind of coming to its end then sort of not for me because me and my wife have actually been in Ibiza not now that we've got to be with, but be, we were in Ibiza four years ago or something like that it's a place so, I've never been I'd love to go still like still like the music side of things and all the rest of it but um, it's uh, you know it's Bristol was, it's kind of like, it was a lot of drum and bass and r and type music right. and all that there. But, um, I still, I was still went out quite a few, a few really good nights. I remember one time, this is no secret, so I don't mind spilling this out in the, it's not unprofessional either, That's all right, that's all right, not at I all. Right. I don't mind spilling this out in the podcast. I remember one time, at the time you used to get, I had to pay for the Masters myself, but you got, like, you were still entitled to like a student loan for SAS. I'd obviously picked up the job, but you were still allowed to claim your student loan. But it came in the January. At the time, you used to get three payments. I was paid three payments a year, so I got a double payment by mistake. And I thought, oh, they must like me. I've got extra money. <laughs> Straight to the phone. Meal trainers. Aye. <laughs> well, I, honestly, it was a brilliant shopping spree. You know, and steak dinners, and I'm a vegetarian now, but it was out and get steak dinners and all the rest. There, I had to pay it back. By the way they got in touch with me six months later and they said I think there's been some sort of administration error so fair, fair play you know But it's a story that I tell my students because oh, I'm skint and say wait till you hear what happened to me when I was skint mm. <laughs> you'd been rubbing your hands at that wouldn't you oh it was amazing I mean that was going back to 2015 years ago that was quite £1,400 or something was quite a lot of money aye no, it yeah, was, definitely it was a good spending Spe- uh,
0: especially as a student Oh aye, definitely you know, <laughs> I felt loaded It's <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a lot of money to
2: me, still Aye
0: <laughs> oh, um,
2: but No, brilliant It's brilliant. brought to a massive uh, Greek community down there and I get friendly with quite a few people from Greece still Keeping contact with them Aye And uh, the nightlife that they had I mean, they just they used to go at midnight like, My friends would say, right, we're going out And I oh, I want to go to my bed Come on, Scottish boy, get out so it'd be like 12, half 11, 12 o'clock at night it'd start, and uh, there was like this sort of club, pre-club bar sort of thing, but it just went on to four o'clock in the morning, and somebody would have a party and all the rest of it as well, but uh, that was pretty good. But, um, good, mem- good memories then? Well, I went back down about four years, five years ago with, with my wife. She'd bought me a present for my birthday, and it was like a, a weekend down in Bristol, in um, the Marriott really really nice hotel to it was across the road through the halls that I used to stay in, a bit of a difference and uh, I see because mum got go because there was a place that you used to go and get a beer at two o'clock in the morning it was like a, a Turkish separate bar so we ended up and it was still there three o'clock in the morning and then you know you're sitting you could go and get a plate of chips and sit with a kale <laughs> lovely brilliant We're good. Yeah, are good to I'd love uh, to be able to stay there, but it's just far too expensive. Is that it's near really London, isn't it? Bristol. Right? Well, it's a over there. It's down at the same level, but it's right across the M4. Got you. right, okay. Um down it's more sort of southwest, kind of near Cardiff. Right, okay, got you. It's a beautiful city. I mean, there's loads of I used to walk out the door and it was a Banksy. uh Banksy. Oh Arps. I didn't really appreciate Banksy as much at the time because it was loads of graffiti everywhere, and I just thought it was some random graffiti. And then I started reading into it. And I'm like, oh, that's all right. Aye, it's amazing, that's pretty fascinating, isn't it?
0: It's amazing, yeah. Anyway, no, it's always, um, I I was just waiting on Clark asking you that question about the the nightlife, I was waiting on it. (laughs) I love love a big chat about nightlife. It's good, it's good to remember this. that definitely. Right, we'll move on then to um, another kind of area of your research, Joe, then, so... Adolescence is a critical time for establishing lifelong health habits and as PE teachers it could be argued that we play a huge role in still these positive habits. What reasons do you think or what in your opinion um, can it cause a decline in physical activity after 16 years old and how do you think we should go about tackling this issue?
2: Yeah well to me it's it was one of the main focuses of my my thesis um, where we looked at the decline in physical activity in. And, and a lot of extent, I'm trying to be evidence based here and looking through the evidence, and it, it's a very difficult thing to track. It's a defi- de- very difficult thing to track even throughout the lifespan. Of, I think, like the work of Bellinger and authors like this, have looked at like the continuity of different types of physical activity or even physical education, um, physical education activities, and seeing how these track through the life course. Um, so there's there's sort of natural occurrence that happened. There's the things called life. Obviously, we're talking about nightlife. Things like that are, are sort of natural occurrence at the time. When you get to sixteen, seventeen, you discover somebody you want to be a partner with, or you discover cars or you discover clothes being music, things like that. And and all of a sudden, and as the data will show, you, even the data that I've collected in and it's published in my thesis and published um, since then in, in, in peer-reviewed uh, journals um, is the fact that um, young young people um, get distracted very easily um, because of all these life things that, that go on. And physical activity perhaps then doesn't become as much of a priority as it was before. And some of it is down to previous experience, if it's not, if the movements, if you you, you don't understand movement fully, so like, this goes back to the knowledge, the physical, I saying, the knowledge of physical activity. If you don't understand the what's involved in becoming and remaining physical, a lot of the time it goes by the wayside. Mm-hmm. So it's understanding that something like um, running, for example, if you get people that are really interested in the running and they know the benefits of running and how it makes them feel, the positive side of things, the mental health side of things, the social side of things, the, the chances are they'll continue with it. And a lot of it is to do with the previous experience. If you've been taught in school, it's, it's just a physical activity and that's it. All right, I take part in a game of football and that's it. All my teachers taught me XYZ sport today. What we need from that is physical literacy aspects and the fundamental movement by building the correct fundamental movement from an early age and instilling these as positive behaviours and the mental and the social and the emotional, the effective sort of benefits from these, you're more likely to want to take part. Now, we don't have hard data on that. We can just sort of guesstimate really, because to measure something like that's really, really difficult, like tracking long, longitudinal studies, but we can almost look towards that. However, what we do know is that if you've not built the fundamental movement skills, so the early fundamental movement skills, which is part of physical literacy, it's not physical literacy, but it's part of it. In primary, for example, by the time you're seven or eight, if you've not got these sort of basic building blocks, that really affects your competence, take part in games or activities that are a bit more advanced, right? So for just talking on land here, because you've obviously got all different sort of environments for physical literacy and fundamental movement skills. So if you don't build these literacy blocks, physical literacy blocks, enough at that age, it'll affect your competence, but it also affects your confidence. We physically know that motivation is a result of perception of competence. So. Do you feel competent? No, I don't feel competent because everybody's looking at me and laughing at me because I can't run fast enough or I look clumsy when I'm moving. So if that child is thinking that, that affects your confidence, which then affects their competence to to move. And it ends up in a vicious cycle of not wanting to take part. It's like kind of a leading on to self-determination theory. So the whole idea in my thesis was that Looking at different teaching methodologies, what we're all about is obviously building that affect, affect of the but also that um, con- to, to get confidence, you need a perception, at least of confidence, to lead to competence, which will then lead you to be more willing to have a go in other activities. mm mm-hmm. So if you've not nailed that, and if you've not got these fundamental movement skills, it, it becomes more difficult to remediate. And it's the exact same situation as writing literacy, reading, writing any sort of literacy. It's the exact same. If you've not got the correct um, literacy tools, like normal literacy rather than physical literacy, yeah. you have call and um, if you've not built that by a certain age, you know what happens? You end up, you fall behind. You can't read texts that your other friends would be able to read. You can't write as effectively and your, your own literacy suffers. So I'm, I'm stealing this idea from somebody else here. Not really stealing it, but it's a sort of a well-known fact. It's like in physical education, we're talking physical literacy. So in a classroom with literacy, if you were writing a story, you wouldn't ask the, ch- the children to queue up for a pencil, would you? No. But you do still see in the gym, not a lot, but you still see queues in gym halls, don't you? Mm. You know, you, you'll see. So we're trying to build physical literacy by asking them to queue up for to uh, take a shot, to, to, to do a layup or something like that. But we wouldn't ask them to queue up in the classroom for a pencil. And it's exactly the exact same thing. I right. should be treated on the exact same... This should be treated the exact same as um, literacy, if not more so important, because you're talking... I know we're trying to move away from, oh, it's just all about health and obesity, but we're still talking about young people's health and wellbeing here. Mm-hmm.
0: I, mean, I think, I absolutely, that's a, a very, very good way of putting it. That's helped me understand that a lot. But I also think, like, say if you're doing like things in a, a gym hall, which I try and, like stay away from I always try and minimize the size of the groups that I'm working with for that very reason but I also think that puts a lot of young people on the spot as well so those ones that aren't very confident like you said because they don't feel competent and if they're in big queues say you've got like three basketball hoops in the gym and they're going up and they're performing a layup or something like that then they're totally exposed in front of everybody and they can everyone can see them and in that way whereas in smaller groups they're there's more well, going I mean, on do you know what I, mean?
2: I mean it's different if you're doing it in a performance capacity and you're doing yeah. it in a game and it's like you're seniors and you're running a wee sport ed thing or you're you're, you're um, looking at more performance based technique analysis and that's you know you're moving on to the performance realms and everybody knows each other and they feel safe and it's a, a lot of the time we do and there's a lot of fantastic practice out there and it's, it's absolutely amazing But what we've got to always remember is, you know, Shinari, the first thing is safe. And it's to make, it's not so much a safe space, but it's to make that young person feel as if they are in a safe space to take part. Our very first um, seminar, I'm giving this away to people that are maybe coming onto the course. Our very first seminar that we do is dance. Mm -hmm. And we teach Shannari through dance. We teach them about the the principles of graphic and Shannari through dance. And it's do you feel in a safe space? No, I don't feel in a safe space. I'm a six foot four rugby player and I've no mobility and I'm no quasi. <laughs> right? But by the end of it, we show them how you can all do a dance, the same dance, but those that are dancers are working absolutely fantastic given all the news And those that aren't are doing a dance within their own capabilities. Mm-hmm. They're still moving. Yeah. So they then see do you feel oh yeah, I do feel in a safe space because yeah, I that like was on me what's that sorry I know they're that focused on their own work that they don't even realise that NDL's that's work, the way it should they? be absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. Until, until it comes to um, performance evaluation at a, a higher level when we're teaching them certificated stuff you get all the banter coming out then. Aye. <laughs> Aye.
0: but at the end of the day see so even just like if, it, if that's like if it's just getting that one young person that that to get them moving, get them active versus what they maybe previously were, like unmotivated, not taking part, then that's surely a, a success and a win for that that individual,
2: you know? Absolutely. And it's it's sort of becoming individualised then. It's what we're striving to achieve, isn't it? Sort of individualised learning, but without having to write them all an individual programme, it's an mm-hmm. individualised learning and a lot of sort of um, differentiation by sort of choice almost, you know, the... the I remember doing it was um, when I was doing the PE specialism. They were doing they used to do the VSEs a lot, you know, the self evaluation kind of inspection type thing. Mm-hmm. And it was a rugby lesson. And what I had done was I had five, to four different hoops with different inflations of balls and different sizes of balls, different types of balls, and I let them try it. You pick the ball that you want, and all the confident ones would be up there, you know, with the normal rugby ball. But others would be trying the phone ball. Okay, what would happen if you change the ball? So getting more into sort of. Um, inquiry and problem-based learning but at the same time they're differentiating the the task by their their own choice as well Mm, That's (laughs) great
1: Right well moving on I know you're wanting to talk a bit about careers in sport and I I think uh, given this some thought myself I think it's something we could do more of as a subject Um, other than becoming a PE teacher what else can our subject offer in terms of career pathways for young people
2: um, are you meaning like our subject, like people come out to be PE teachers or like the actual pupils, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, 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 and just like the pupils, so right.
1: any yeah. other kind of popular career paths that you can think about that we could
2: sell, like to try and sell a subject to the young people to pick it? Absolutely, I mean, obviously like emergency services is the first thing that springs to mind of having been involved and. In. Colleges and I was involved as a learning coordinator in West Lothian College at one time and it was like um 15-year-olds that were like school refusers I was working with. And what we're looking at, they were really interested in sort of sport and fitness and um exercise things, and looking at sort of career paths that they could choose that they maybe didn't they would they maybe would admit that they weren't academically. Able to get to the level they wanted to university, but they wanted to try a career that was related to their interests. So, I mean, you've got things like um, looking at emergency services, obviously, like um, personal train the personal training side of things, gym instructional personal training things kind of a because of the franchise and all the rest of it now, it's a it's a different, it's a different ball game, but there's still some people that make make a success of it. Um, sort of gym instruction, coaching, all these sort of safety of things in the in the sport um aspect of things, but there's lots, you know, there's lots of other sort of transferable skills that you're learning through yeah. physical education as we already touched on. So even supposing you, you were more business minded by teaching physical education properly, you're teaching teamwork, you're teaching problem solving, you're teaching communication. So, all your um, implicit learning intentions yeah. are, 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 are highly relevant to a lot of different careers. Um, I and mean, that's why, even like looking at the sort of elite sort of schools down south, um, private schools, they still have sport and physical education is the a, a sort of top priority for team building, yeah. for resiliency, and so on and so forth. Um, and we should be taking that approach as well, where physical education um, isn't just for those people that want to be good at sport, it's for learning to be resilient, learning to actually be able to write your own goals, learning to be able to um, work with other people and mm. make choices that, we're cooperating with other people, etc., conflict
0: resolution as well that's massive. Absolutely, it. that is something that is like very Absolutely. relevant Absolutely. just now. And at, at my school, man, GZO, oh, it's um, I mean, I'm doing a, a wee sport ed model where my, my S3s and see just like the amount it's just trying to teach them to be able to be better losers, if you like. And it's just those wee things are like, I suppose, it's like the implicit stuff, isn't it? Like uh-huh. teaching them and, and using and them as teachable
2: moments depending on you, you as a person and personality type and upbringing and all this rest it, it's ingrained in you that you want to win. I mean, I go into Zwift and there's guys here that are running that are like 14, 15 minutes, 5Ks. And I know I'm not going to beat them, but I'll see somebody else that's hitting about 22, 23 minutes. I'm going to beat you. No, it's just natural, isn't it? Yeah. It's just natural, isn't it? It has, its Sorry. It's ingrained in, in, in you, especially in our job. Um, to be that sort of competitor side but sometimes mm. it's just understanding that it's not always about about that and it's crazy because I'm sitting thinking and we're talking about previous experience I remember at like 13 oh go out and run 10k or go out and do cross-country running now I'm going and paying 40, 50 quid to go and take partner yeah <laughs> aye I <laughs>
1: you know it's like, it's like it's like sports are a powerful way though to teach the, those life skills to the young people I think probably I might be a bit biased here but I think P's probably got that environment that absolutely it's
2: got I'd say it's got got the edge as well Mm -hmm. and even for people that go and become PE teachers there's a whole different um there's whole different scenarios in places environments you can go and teach and if you become old and your knees are done and you don't want to be doing the physical but you still want to do your training obviously but if you want to do like something that's more in the school you've obviously still got like guidance type roles but um I'd done a role that was like learning coordinator in a college for a wee while and we were working on basic literacy and numeracy because you've got that sort of educated background, you can look towards these type of jobs as well Um, and obviously like uh, sort of coordinating roles and even the sports science, quite a few people that I know that were PE teachers ended up teaching in colleges as well. Um, so it's one of these things that people always tend to pigeonhole themselves as doing one thing, but yeah. it's recognizing the flexibility. And if you've got these transferable skills, um, these well, transferable know. skills through the, the, the means that we're talking about, I like the one
0: about emergency services. I've never even that didn't even cross my mind. We've got a thing in the school; it's got like all the kind of career options for PE. Yeah, I don't think emergency services is one. Well, I may be wrong, but I think that's a quite
2: well, a few uh, people um, that I know that work with in the gym ended up going into paramedics. Um, because they've got the physiology background and the, the physicality, yeah. the physical side of things, um, somebody else ended up in the prison service. A lot of physiotherapists. Mm-hmm. And I think PE does actually lend We don't sell ourselves enough in the academic side of things. And it's not about being academic. Uh, again, twat is the sort of spats and Twitter people saying oh you academics I'm like, I'm not an academic I'm a academic. I, I, I appreciate I, I teach and I have taught PE as a practical subject but I still I write academic evidence based um, literature I love that term academic." aye I, I, I stole that, that for Dave Collins you'll not mind me saying that no um, I, I, it's a good one I like it as well uh, it's definitely I it would, it would sum up what, what I would Call myself rather than yeah. see I'm a stuffy academic stuck away in an ivory tower writing papers. <laughs> yeah Well, um, Joe, um, I think you've missed one
1: career. Little we'll as well. Can you think about what it might be? What was that? Podcasting. P-D.
0: Oh,
2: aye. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Aye, there you a YouTuber. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> that's who gets all the money these days See, <laughs> the thing about
0: it, about it, you could do like with any job you could do podcasting aside if you want like, to just go and talk about it if you enjoy your job and Aye, you want to just, and, and just go and talk about
2: it and it's good isn't it yeah. them, your podcast really engaging and all the rest of it but some of them that are listened to not in PE but listened to a few like the cycling walk bike type ones and all the rest of it mm-hmm. uh, put you to sleep Aye. Somebody with that, with somebody's it. sitting talking to the, 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 the monotone sort of voice whereas here we've got a good bit of conversation It really switched more I, to the podcast when I, I listened to the one with wee Ando mm-hmm. that really got me uh, <laughs> uh, he's, no, passionate. About it he's really passionate I think he talks more than me I, I think it's a, 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 a good
0: call
1: contest. definitely <laughs> <laughs> right, so moving on to the last question Joe we've also got a lot of student teachers who listen in and obviously fellow colleagues as well across the country um, we quite like asking this question towards the end so in your opinion, what makes a high quality teacher, if you can, can keep it kind of brief, what would it be?
2: It's you've got to have personality. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can have all the subject knowledge in the world, you can even be a fantastic athlete, fantastic um teacher, but if you don't have the personality, if you don't get on the affective domain, um you don't you, you don't you neglect this side of things. It, it, it's all a bit lost. Mm-hmm. So I would say to have personality and and let your enthusiasm and motivation come across to other young people. That's what makes people like you as a teacher. It's not because you give them football at a um, second period on a Monday morning or whatever. It's because you... Work with that young person, and you show that you're caring and that you're motivating at the same time. So it's, it's definitely enthusiasm, motivation, etc., etc. And even when we're picking um, people that are come, candidates that are coming, we get some fantastic candidates with brilliant profiles. But if they don't come across as like enthusiastic and motivated, all all is really lost. That's something you've got to really, to really have in our job. Yeah, definitely. So it's all, have all, how you come across then? I, I definitely. I mean, yeah. that's having, having that, and also having that caring, that caring aspect. Definitely. Yeah,
0: I think it's easier to learn the the subject and the curriculum in that versus trying to change who you are and your personality and all that. So I think that's a kind of innate thing that's that helps. And,
2: and, and it can be developed. I actually used to be quite shy and uh, retired when I was at uh, 15, 16 years age. <laughs> <laughs> Um, brilliant man
1: that's great so uh, some good uh, final advice here from Joe motivation um, being motivated enthusiastic and making sure that comes across and how you interact with the young people so superb uh, that's us moving on to the, the quick fire round the bit that me and Lois love the grand, uh, the, the grand finale Joe oh
2: I've not even had a tiny research <laughs> <laughs> <It's laughs> right, natural mate. aye we'll just um, aye we'll go for it then just
0: off the top of your head then just whatever comes to your head yeah, that's okay. absolutely brilliant you ready? Right, perfect. Right, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it?
2: Um, Move any mountain, and then at the bottom, you can be what you want to be. The shaman. Brilliant. <laughs> move any mountain. Basically, like believe in yourself. Huh. Excellent.
0: Oh, well. Love it. Which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life?
2: Um I, I like some of. I've done some of Len Armin's stuff in, in physical education. Um. In terms of motivation, I was really, really um, taken aback by Frumi's book, Chris Frum's book, mm-hmm. which um, I thought was absolutely fantastic, the story that he tells. Um, as far as teaching goes, I've had lots and lots of really, really good help from inspirational people, people that have helped out, um, like Will Kay that worked at Stirling, um, and uh, Eleanor Steele, um, who as uh, Eleanor Stull comes and helps us out on the degree program. She's really, really helped me out and motivated me in my career. Um, and Dave Collins, who is an absolute gem. I don't know if you've ever met Dave. He's definitely a guy you need to get on the podcast. A Absolutely. Dave's now at the University of Edinburgh. Right. Absolutely. And so motivational. That's why he's a sports psychologist now. So motivational, so inspirational. And just the message that he he puts out there. We might hold you to that one then to,
0: to, to get it lined up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: referral fees. <laughs> aye, aye, <absolutely>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah. I mean as, as far as I and I have worked with some um older teachers that really inspired me as well. And there was a guy called Ian Walker. He's, he's retired in retirement now when I worked in behavior school and it's just uh, the Sort of way that you used to deal the calm way you used to deal with a lot of the, the situations and like learning things from some of these teachers as well is absolutely fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. I always love asking that question and just finding out, like, just finding out a bit about that, like how like the different types of books and all that because some people go down like the, the route of like the Educational books and that, and some people go down like the the roots of like the can kind of self help books, the motivational yeah. ones, and it's always good to just get that wee insight and take note of some of them. Uh, I'm an avid. The, I mean, I've the probably
2: thing, oh, I could have said this and I could have said that because I've read so much. There's, there's and know it's hard people. to just pick a couple, isn't it? Hundreds of stuff that's really had a, a, a sort of impact on me. Mm-hmm. But
0: um, I really, there's something about through bit, and I've done it as an audiobook actually when I was going out running. And I thought, you know, that's my wee girl, Pete the that's car. Right, party, right. you know? aye, aye, it's fine, it's fine, don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Aye, no, no, brilliant. Um, final one then, Joe. What advice would you give to a teacher who is listening right now? Out of all your wealthy experience,
2: have you got any words of wisdom for them to? Um, don't give up and always be caring, ABC, <laughs> always oh. be caring, because oh, yeah. you are having an impact on a young person's life. Some teachers have had an impact in my life, and it's that um, sort of projecting yourself into the your future experience, they, that will ultimately realise itself in um, that person's past experience. So you've got to give that young person a high-quality education experience. <laughs>
0: brilliant um, I I feel inspired absolutely that um, is certainly a a cracking way to finish this episode of the podcast Joe so I just want to say thanks very much for giving up your time tonight and coming on and sharing your experience and getting a chat with us it's been great really enjoyed it thanks for coming on really enjoyed it thanks it was great cheers that brings us to the end of another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with Joe Cowley who is a lecturer on the PE course at Stirling University, and Joe was on talking to us talking to us about his kind of research and the work that he's done, and um, talking to us a wee bit about cross country, and um, and also some of his, his research and some jobs that obviously the subject of PE can kind of uh, lend itself nicely to. So ultimately, it was a wee bit of everything. But um, also. <laughs> well, from Joe's experience, he's, he's had a lot of, a, a wealth of experience in um, a lot of different areas within the kind of, sports industry and the sports science industry and education, so um, a lot of takeaway message, Clark, but I think you can kick us
1: off with tonight's takeaway message. Uh, it was definitely was a wee bit of obo tonight, obo, obo, so, Ob- <laughs> obo, 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 oi, 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 no, Joe, I'm going to take a kind of a pedagogical standpoint when he was speaking about the kind of learning intentions of having a, he gets his students to plan uh explicit learning intention, which is like how to successfully develop the layup, I think he spoke about, or a specific skill and you would teach them the technique, go through push, that. The push pass. Push pass it was, uh, through the repetition practices or whatever. Um, but also he gets them to have an implicit learning intention, which I quite like, which is just like incidental learning where you're not really planning it, it just happens through the, the environment of the learning process of trying to develop the push-pass. So they'd be working on problem-solving, trying to get the ball to move quicker, or communication with another uh, peer, or um, decision-making. So it's all these uh, other kind of personal, more pe- more personal qualities, but obviously I mentioned a column that was skill as well, but more kind of towards the personal quality quadrant of the benchmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's got me thinking of um, how I could set out my my lessons as well and have a, have an implicit learning intention as well as an explicit because that's something that I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have done. I've heard a lot about the word implicit and explicit, but I didn't really know what it meant. I, what it. I think it's, um, it's good because if
0: you're... You could have all of that as explicit, but then that just becomes far too much information to try and digest. And I think that's where it's good to... So you're aware of it, and then you can go in and, like you say, ha- like those wee teachable moments that come up, you can go in and kind of um, highlight them to the, the pupils and that as you're teaching the sort of explicit stuff that you've... Oh,
1: ah, yeah, but that's what I took from it, Lewis. I'm not sure if that's what... Uh, I hope, hopefully, I've picked it up right, but I did. Yeah, that's what I
0: definitely took from it as well. It's I the sure. implicit stuff you're not directly putting up on the board as like your learning intention that's like something that you've got that you're going to touch on like is that yeah, something that's happening that's one of the benchmarks that's maybe potentially going to come up so you're going yeah. kind to of encapsulate like more than just that one thing
1: yeah it's, uh, I suppose it's not it's not occurring really a current the personal qualities because PP, yeah. P- obviously in sport is about persisting making mistakes and having to show confidence and bouncing back all that sort of stuff. So yeah. that's stuff that'll naturally occur, but then it's up to us to bring it to the attention of the students. Yeah, um definitely I, actually I think know. it's hard to directly and explicitly teach cognitive skills and or personal qualities, sorry. You know? yeah, definitely. I know I know Dan Leslie spoke a lot about it in his podcast. What we attend to is what we learn. So yeah. We have, to, we have to bring it to the attention of the young people so they actually know that that's what they're developing and stopping them and highlighting it and picking out specific pupils who've demonstrated high levels of a specific skill. So not all in all, a great episode from Oppo and can't believe it's we're on a fifty fifth episode this week as well. What a what a journey we've been on. I know, I know. But um Well it's the fifty fifth as I'm speaking just now, but when this goes out it won't be but No, we'll be well ahead. We've done well to get to fifty five. So yeah. um How's what was your key takeaway message? In first of all, I want to say that was very succinctly put from your takeaway
0: message there, Mister Burrow. Um, I couldn't oh, have said it better myself. So I have done it fifty-five times. So aye, that's that's <laughs> true. Fifty-five takeaway messages later, and you've you've hit the nail on the head. So um, well on with that one. <laughs> no bother. Right, on you go. No bother. <laughs> um, aye, so I think mine's was. I thought it was interesting when I asked um, Joe about why do you think young people after 16 start to decline in physical education um, when our job is to kind of try and install those lifelong habits for physical activity? Um, And what he kind of spoke about is maybe their younger experience. Obviously, like, life happens, so, like, you've obviously got nightlife and grout and stuff when you get to that age. But it can be previous experiences and... Um, maybe not feeling competent in your are moving. he gave the example of if you feel like you're clumsy at running or you're not very good at performance set skills and that then that's going to have an awkward impact on your confidence and actually he put it really well I think the, the analogy that he used you want to queue up four um, ages in a, an English class or you want to use one pencil in an English class and have a queue waiting to use it you know you get everybody doing it at the one time so I think it's the exact same for PE and that was a, a really helpful way to to get me to understand that so I guess it's just trying to to try and reduce that our job is to try and convey our passion to the young people of how it's helped us and we really need to be able to articulate or the, the kind of why of our mm-hmm. subject don't we to, mm-hmm. I, I... So to show there is a, a real purpose behind it, how much it's actually helped us. Like if I can, like I genuinely love going out and trying all these different things. Whether it, it just anything, any random activity. Like sometimes I was just saying to you earlier, like even if it's like doing a yoga session or climbing a hill or going out and just trying surfing or just random activities, and it, I just love the joy of actually going out and moving. It just makes me feel so much better. Um, and if you are if you feel competent, then you're going to be confident to go and try these these different activities. And if you mm-hmm. don't have that, then you're going to your your box is going to be so small. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to want to go and try and explore. Like yeah. what's, actually, what's actually all out there? I'm not saying that's for everybody. Like, you don't need to go and try all these different things. But yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for. Moving. But I think you've I think you've been ex-
1: you've been exposed to that from a young age, and even in your PE career at school, you've always enjoyed it. And it's I think it's credit to the PE teachers, and it's that's what we really to do is make sure it's an enjoyable experience, so they want to come back for more. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know
0: how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care. From the both of us here at A Wee Bit of Everything, thanks for listening and we'll see you
2: again next week.